So they say that about 20% of what happens to you in life is what actually happens to you. And about 80% of what happens in your life is how you respond to what happens to you. Interesting. I said that to say this. Whatever difficulty you're facing or have faced or will face, you can't run from it. It's just a fact of life. I don't remember anybody ever saying to me, oh, life will be really easy. And if they said it to you, it was a lie. You've already found that out? Oh, okay. Because life is hard, can be difficult, it's getting harder, we live in a corrupt world, getting more so every day around what we see and beyond our own sphere of influence and certainly around the globe. We need to be thinking about the great loss of life in the last few days of our military and the families that have suffered. But we need to think beyond that to the national conversation and certainly the international community and what in the world is going on. So keep all of that in your prayer if you would. During World War I, a British soldier was tired of, of all the fighting. And he said, I'm leaving the battalion and I'm going home. So he left, not knowing where he was and not knowing where he was going and certainly not knowing where he would uh, end up. And he got hopelessly lost. He left at night, went through woods and got lost in the dark. He came across what seemed to be a road sign. And he climbed up that sign, uh, up the pole, and he lit a match to read what it said. And when the match lit up the area around the top of the pole, in that moment, he was looking in the face of Jesus. You see, he, he didn't know it, but he had climbed a roadside uh, crucifix, and, and he remembered how Jesus had died for him, and endured the pain of the cross, and had never turned back. And the rest of the story falls in line, as he did some days later. We cannot run from difficulty. And, and can I just add a parenthesis? We can run, but we can't hide. We can run, and we can hide. But guess what? Wherever we end up, we are the first person that we meet when we get there. Yeah. He gives us courage to face hard situations. He, God gives us strength to get through the things in life that, that, are, that are, we call problems or difficulties. And he wants us to get through them, to get to the other side, and he wants us to do that with joy. Check your joy meter this morning. I want you to check your joy meter. I'm going to take some verses of Scripture, and uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to show you a pattern, and hopefully it'll be a pattern that you can remember and that you can live by. I'm going to start in Nehemiah chapter 8, and I want to read verses 9 and 10. 
and I'm reading from uh, the uh, King James Version. I'm going to be reading from other, a couple other versions as I go through the morning. So if that bothers you, accept my apology in advance. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, or that word means the governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people. Now this is when Nehemiah is preparing to rebuild the walls, and, and he is going to restore Jerusalem. Hope, that is his hope and dream, and this is what he's always wanted to do. And the people are, have heard the word of God for the first time in, in, in generations, and so they have a lot of mixed emotions. And they, the elders and Nehemiah said, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. I think a lot of that was uh, regret that they hadn't been listening to the word of the Lord. It was a lost thing, actually. Or maybe it was tear, they were tears of joy. I think there was a mixture. Then he said unto them, verse 10, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet. I love Nehemiah. And I love Nehemiah, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be you sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I read that and here's what I underlined for myself. Here's how I read it. The joy of the Lord is is our strength. Let's all say that together. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's say it one more time, and let's take out our, and everybody say my strength, okay? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Woo. Say that over 150 times in the next two days. Now, one Bible dictionary talks about this, kind of teaching us how to know what that means, the joy of the Lord, and so on. And they use, this dictionary uses rejoicing, gladness, mirth, be joyful, uh, be glad, be merry, whatever. So friends, I want to just leave with you today three what I call signal truths with, with you that will help you and you'll be easy to remember even through the week. The very first is this, and I hope you can all identify with this, and if you can't, I hope before the morning's over you will. My first truth is this. My soul has found what it was looking for. In Matthew 13, verse 44, and if you're in your Bible app or you have your Bible open, we're going to be moving around a lot and using a lot of different scripture, and I hope you'll be able to stay with it because it'll really paint the picture for you. In, in verse 44 of Matthew 13, we read this. The kingdom of heaven, this is one of the parables, uh, is like treasure hidden in a field. I'm reading from the NIV. When a man found it, he hid it again. <laughs> and then, in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. I love that verse. I just love that verse. This wasn't just a pot of gold. This wasn't a treasure chest. This wasn't just a, a nice bag of money that was hidden, hidden in the field. I believe this was a gold or silver mine, a mine of, uh, of some great value, which he found, but he couldn't get at it. And he worked it, and he worked it, and he just gave up and said, I'm going to buy the field. <laughs> and for that purpose, it says, he bought it. Now, here's the moral. 
Here's the moral of this parable. The, this man realized that the value of the riches that were in the field were more valuable than everything that he owned put together. I mean, it was worth many times more than the field itself. It was everything that he could have ever hoped to have. He found a joy that he had never experienced. Nothing else now mattered to him. Little wonder. And this parable is clearly demonstrated in the life also of the Apostle Paul. You wouldn't think it, but just stay with me. In Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 8, and I think we'll have this on the screen too in the English Standard Version, I want to read a few verses. So Paul says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's quite a statement. And he found in him, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, ooh, uh-oh, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Look at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I pray I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. <laughs> Brothers, I and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own. I haven't made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Look at that great verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, that Philippians 3, 8 to 14 is a whole lot like Matthew 13, 44, where in that parable the man found riches and treasure and he went back and bought the whole field. Paul says, my soul has found what it's looking for. You see... We should consider the salvation of God. We should consider the price that's been paid. We should consider that God thought it, and Jesus uh, bought it, and the Holy Spirit has wrought it, and it's a very important thing in the mind of God. Our salvation is not trite. Uh, our only treasure is our salvation, and a value we, can, we must value it above all the riches of the world because they do not compare. We should search daily in the scriptures to see that salvation at work till we fully understand the worth of our salvation and the excellence of it as well. We should deeply consider it in the depths of our souls and we should be willing to part with all we have in order to have it. Mm -hmm. When we do and when you do, there will be a joy that will fill your soul like you never, ever, ever experienced before. My soul has found what it's looking for. Hello? The, the second truth 
that I want to give you today. Something I call joy versus happiness. There is a difference between happiness and joy. Let's look at happiness. Ah, that happiness. There are a lot of things that can make people happy. I could ask for some suggestions and I would probably get things like money, nice home, nice house, new car, loving family, faithful spouse, good health, good job, uh, pleasant surroundings. I guess that list goes on, doesn't it? On and on and on and on. Happiness describes then how I feel on the outside. It really describes, if you will, what's happening in my human nature. Am I comfortable? Do I feel content? Do I feel safe? Are things going okay for me? Are things all right at home? Are they okay at work? Uh, What about my health? See, if all these things are going well for me, for you, usually, as a general rule, as a general rule, if those things are all going well, we are happy, right? 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 What about, what about this tension, then, that I see between joy and happiness? First, I want to say this. There seems to be a lot of joy missing from the average Christian life. I'm not picking on anybody. I don't want you to take it personally unless it applies to you. I mean, really, you should come up here some Sunday morning and look out. I've often thought maybe I should just bring a camera. No, I'm just kidding. You look great. You look great. You look great. And I'm happy. I'm so happy that you're here, and I'm so happy I can share some truths with you. But sometimes, sometimes... Your joy isn't showing. You don't look happy. And I think it's important that we distinguish these two words, happiness and joy, so that we realize we can actually have joy, listen to this, even if it's mixed with unhappiness at times in our walk. I'm telling you, The look, the attitude, and the disposition of some Christians I've met over my years, I'm telling you, it makes me wonder if they were baptized in lemon juice, weaned on a pickle, and rolled out the back door of the last hearse going up the hill. Yeah, you laugh now. Listen, if I didn't know better, and if I didn't know what I already have in my soul, One look at them, and I'd say, I don't know what it is they have, but I don't want it. I do not want that. If that's the way it makes me look, if that's the way it makes me feel, if that's the way it makes me act, if that's the way it makes me talk, keep it. Did you know that joy is not a recommendation recommendation in Scripture? No, it's a command. It's a command. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, Paul says, I say rejoice, in case you didn't get it the first time. So what's this difference between happiness and joy? And I'm glad you asked because I really did research this. The word happy comes from the root of a Greek word. We would uh, spell it H-A-P, 
which means literally, listen to this, chance. This is the root of several other words in our language. Happen, happening, hapless, even haphazard, and I could go down a list of a few more. Happiness, thus, is described as a glad feeling that depends on something good happening. Happiness is an emotion that God wants us to experience, but to understand that we won't always have that feeling. And if you've lived much of life, you probably have experienced that. The Bible tells us that things will happen to us sometimes that will make us feel different emotions. And sometimes the emotions are so mixed and actually contrary to one another that it really gets to be a, a, a muddled mess. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 uh, beginning at verse 1 tells us this, and everything there's a season, you've heard that, there is a time for every uh, purpose under the heaven. And then it goes on in verse 4 to say this of Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, hallelujah. As a matter of fact, one of our songs we sing, we're going to be dancing forever, and I'm ready for heaven if that's true. Um, as a matter of fact, Isaiah's, uh, when he prophesied the coming of Christ in chapter th uh, 53, the Passion Passage, yeah, he, uh, he called Jesus a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But isn't it interesting that continually, continually, and continually, Jesus talks about joy. He mentions the word happy one time, John 13, 17. He's talking about the commands and things you do, and he said, you know these things, happy are you if you do them. And that's just it. He just finished washing the disciples' feet, and he's given them this as an example. And As a matter of fact, the word happy only appears 25 times in the Bible. The word happiness appears, guess how many times in the old King James? You're right, none. Zero. And I was shocked, I said I'd research this, but the word joy, in one form or another, 187 times in the form of rejoice or rejoiced, and uh, rejoiced is 240 times. So God desires for you and for me to have the joy of the Lord over that fleeting happiness or chance of this whole world. Why? Oh, so glad you asked. Because the happiness of this world is at best temporary. Hmm? Have you ever been really, 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 really happy about something only to have that emotion just kind of vanish? Just like stolen away almost as fast as it came? Yeah, in John 16, verse 22, it reads, And you now, therefore, have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man can take from you. So Jesus was telling the disciples the opposite of what we were just saying. You see, sorrow, like joy, is fleeting. Whenever you possess joy, here's another, here's another one. Psalm, uh, uh, Psalm 30, verse 5. It tells us that sorrow may last all through the night. But what comes in the morning? Joy comes in the morning. 
Joy is the foundation that supports all of our emotions and makes them healthy emotions, including happiness and even including sorrow. Sorrow is not an unhealthy emotion. Look at how important it is to maintain your joy. Galatians 5. You know I'm going to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, or, or, or self-control. When you look at that list, we know how important love is, right? But look where joy is. Second only to love, even ahead of peace. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Joy is right up there, my friend. It's just very close to love, and it's ahead of peace. Wow, very important. Now I take another chapter of Scripture where the fruit and the vine are described, the great 15th chapter of John. And starting at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. A lot of joy in those verses in that that verse. I, how long then can we keep our joy full? He just told us. He just told us. If you don't feel that you have much joy, maybe you need to get a little closer to the vine. Mm. And maybe you need to start bearing more fruit in your life. Now here's Webster Dictionary definition of joy. A, the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or the prospect of possessing what one desires. Yeah, we all can identify. And B, the expression or exhibition of such emotion. So why today, August 29th, 2021, mid to late morning, gathered together, looking for the power of God to fall on us and trusting the Holy Spirit to lead us. Can I ask this question? Then why are we all so joyful? Mostly it's because of gratitude. Huh? I don't know, I'll just put it simply. God saved us. He saved us when we were most undeserving. And He gave us His presence and power. He also gave us all of His promises. <laughs> I'll ask it this way. Aren't you grateful for a loving God? Oh, yeah. Second Peter 1, verse 4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. We're going to escape all that. And that corruption is through lust. 
Somebody ought to be shouting right now in here. I got to tell you, we have joy in our hearts, number one, because of gratitude, because of the wonderful salvation that is ours. You want the biblical formula for joy? Okay, let's do some math. First, add to your life these ingredients. Gratitude, humility, forgiveness, faith, hope, patience, and love. Just add all those. And then take away or subtract resentment, anger, fear, worry, greed, jealousy, pride, and a complaining attitude. That's your formula for the joy of the Lord. To grow in that joy, you have to resist your own self-pity. You've got to resist your selfishness, your attitude to, that becomes so self-absorbed. See, you'll never be joyful if you keep concentrating on what you don't have rather than being thankful for what God has given you. James tells us in his book, in chapter 1, starting at verse 2, consider it pure joy. There's that word again, my brethren. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, is there anybody in here who's never faced some kind of a trial in your life? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Oh, what a great verse. And if you're tired of non-believers just picking on you and making fun of you and bullying you because of your faith in God, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5.11. He said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Amen. One of my favorite portions of Scripture is the fifth chapter of Romans. And here the writer says, starting at verse 3, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces... Can you see the next word and say it with me? And perseverance produces, and character produces, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen. How do we rejoice in our sufferings? By the Holy Spirit of God. That's how. That's the oil of our joy. It keeps it burning. It keeps us full of joy. What a wonderful thought. Oh. So where are you? Where are you right now in, in this matter of your joy? I mean, what does your joy meter show? Did, did you feel like you had that joy and you have experienced it maybe, but it's been kind of sucked out of your life and, and, and it doesn't even show now? You need some help maybe with your joy? Well, let's see how... The disciples got along when they felt that way. In Acts chapter 13, verse 52. And the disciples were filled with, there's that word again, joy <laughs> and the Holy Spirit. 
We need the Holy Spirit to fill our joy, to help us have joy when we really don't feel very joyful and to keep Satan from stealing our joy from us. You see, a person's level of happiness often sets their mood and the environment for the mood of the atmosphere around them. But joy is altogether different from happiness. Joy is something down deep inside of you. Joy is not determined by what's happening to you. The joy of the Lord is as real at the graveside as it is at the fireside. The joy of the Lord does not fade at the onslaught of calamity. The joy of the Lord does not sour under the test of poverty. And the joy of the Lord does not, is not created by possessions or positions, but by a person. And that person is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Check your joy meter. So my soul has found what it was looking for. Happiness versus joy. And now, requirements for joy. It's, it's interesting and it's important to understand something about the joy of the Lord, not just use it as a, a catchphrase. It is not an inflexible, unvariable thing at all. It is not just something given to Christians without any possibility for deterioration. Joy requires at least two conditions. If you don't catch anything else, I'd like you to catch these two words. And hear me now. Joy requires at least two conditions. Submission and service. Submission and service. The way to enjoy indestructible peace and joy is to determine, I said determine, to do what? To do what? To do what God commands, however difficult. Mm. Mm. It's this kind of an attitude. Well, if it's in God's word, I'm going to do it. And then to endure, endure what? Whatever he allows to come our way. You say, yeah, but that could be pretty awful and pretty severe, whatever he allows to come your way. And to die, oh, to die. Yes, to die daily. And to pray, pray without ceasing. Our Lord Jesus knew the supreme anchor for joy. Now, I purposely left one of these to be filled in. And it's after die daily to love your friends. Is that what the Bible says? So if you know the word, let's say it. To love your... Oh, by the way, while you were busy uh, judging others, you left your closet door open and uh, your uh, skeletons fell out. 
No, I'm glad you got a little chuckle out of that, but it wasn't meant to be humorous. Because while you're judging others, you're a showcase to the world. About two weeks ago, a friend of mine, good friend, a pastor friend, we were young pastors together, and he, uh, he preached for me, he led chapels in the school, and we were fairly close distance-wise, and both had young families, and then we got to be quite a long piece apart, hadn't heard much from him anyway. He went home to be with the Lord. Just a few days ago, I got this note from his wife. She didn't ask me to share it, but after I read it, my heart was broken, and I thought, Pastor Breeden was a wonderful man, and his wife, Luella, just a tremendous lady, and she, she wrote this. She said, a week ago today, we held a service for Mark for his homecoming. I have received so many sweet cards and messages from people who were impacted by his life. I looked across at his recliner today and wished I could read them to him. I wish he had known in his lifetime what his life and ministry had meant to so many. Please hear me from my heart. There's no bitterness in these words, just a sadness. Mark was a pastor for 32 years. And as his wife and as his family know, he took that calling seriously. And I know that to be true, always, never a moment of difference. Though he was hurt many times, he never spoke badly about the people who brought him pain. When Parkinson's made ministry difficult and he had to resign, his heart hurt because pastoring was his calling. He loved ministering to people. What I wish he had known was for some he made a real difference. What I want to say to you now is please do not wait to send a sympathy card for a family. If a mechanic, a teacher, a cashier, a librarian, a neighbor, anyone has blessed your life, and we all have countless people who do, tell them now. It will bring joy, joy, joy to them. And they are the ones who really need to know that their life mattered. God bless you, Llewellyn. God bless you, Pastor Mark. Thank you for the wonderful example you set. Our Lord Jesus knew the supreme anchor for joy. The writer of the Hebrews in chapter 12, the first two verses, says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight 
and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I love this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the, who for the, who for the joy, who for the, say it again, joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before him, joy. That's got to be a misprint. The joy that is set before him, joy. Hanging naked, nailed to a cross in the heat of the blazing sun on that cruel mount of Calvary. Joy set before him. Joy with his closest friends deserting him at the hour of testing. Joy, really? Really? For the joy that was set before him with his great, closest friends deserting him in the hour of testing. Joy. Joy, really, to die between two law-breaking criminals. Joy. Public embarrassment, humiliation. To understand the joy set before him. Hear me carefully. You may never have heard this before. We must first look at the joy that was behind him. Here it is. He never deviated from the will of the Father. If you're doing his will right now, you're going to have joy. No matter what comes, you're going to have joy. Also, his ministry had brought liberation to many who were lost in sin and whom uh, Satan had bound and he brought deliverance. He had spoken everything that the Father had requested despite criticism and vilification on every hand. And yet there was joy set before him. Why? Because of what was behind him. What a joy. The, what joy? The joy that was before him. You see, the cross <laughs> was the will of the Father. The cross would mean remission of sin for millions of souls. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, I can be one of the millions. By now, maybe billions. I, I don't know the number. Joy, you say. What a joy, yeah. The cross was the will of the Father. The cross meant remission of sin. The humiliation would mean the exaltation to resurrection for a multitude no man can number. <laughs> We're not only going to live and die, believer. We're going to be raised again to newness of life to live forevermore. Amen. Did that make you happy? No, that just fills me with joy. Christ's defeat of the devil would mean that he could lead captivity captive and give gifts unto men. That verse comes to life. His supreme gift would be the Holy Spirit and love and joy and peace to empower the church 
for the mission that it has been sent here for and for the sake of the world. So it's time to check our joy. Now, I believe that God would have us examine ourselves. Do we really have the joy of the Lord? Do you have the joy of the Lord? Maybe you've never known it. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you do, but you've never come into that relationship in a way that is overflowed with joy. Today is your day. Today is the day you've been waiting for. Do you have the joy of the Lord in you? I mean, without joy, our, our lives are really pretty mundane, and they can actually be miserable. Oh, I'm going to leave you with Psalm 16 and 11, just part of it there. And I want you to know this is one great psalm, as they all are. This is from the New King James. Uh, psalm 16 11 says, to, uh, the psalmist says to God, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of, can you guess what? Joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus said in John 16, 24, ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. I can't get over all these joy verses. Joy, 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 joy. Have you received the free gift of salvation? Do you know what it is to name the name of Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? I hope you do. If you don't, I hope you will seek someone out today. I'll be glad to talk with you and we can share the wonderful, wonderful salvation that he has provided. Maybe you need to surrender it all to God and ask him for that godly joy that maybe you once had. Maybe, maybe you know what I'm talking about, but you know, it's so far in the distant past. And the last time you even felt or, or, or were suspicious of the joy of the Lord, you can hardly remember when it was. Nehemiah said in chapter 8, verse 10, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength, and the joy of the Lord today can be your strength too. If you want your joy restored to, to you and, and be where you've always been with joy, then just come clean today. Just come as you are. God will meet you here. God will meet you at your point of need. And he'll return to you if you're a Christian. He'll return what's rightfully yours as a child of God, an inheritance that God, he's already promised it to you. So we don't have to sit around and hope and wait and wish and all the rest of it. Would you profess to him today? Would you just say to him, God, I don't have that joy, but I want to have it. I know I need it. Or would you just say to him right now, I, I want my joy back. I don't know. I lost it. I dropped it. I left it somewhere. I don't know what's wrong. Over the years, I've let Satan take it away a bit at a time. But I'm asking you, God, now to restore what was once mine and to give me your joy and bring it back to me today. Fullness. Fullness of joy. And with that, I ask you one more time, do not walk out of here without taking some action. But today, this very moment, check your joy meter. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for, oh, it's so inexhaustible. It's so wonderful. It's so powerful. There's so much there for us. And it's for every single one of us. 
Lord, for the one who's here today, and they're looking for their way to God, and they're looking for that way for peace, love, joy, peace, and and long-suffering, and gentleness, and goodness, and faith, and meekness, and temperance. They need it, and they want it, and they're asking for it. Lord, bring it into their hearts today as only you can. And for those who name the name of Christ, but they're not, you, they know they haven't walked with you. They know that they haven't submitted to you. They know they're not serving you like they ought to. And they know that they may be temporarily happy, but they're not eternally joyful. And oh, how they need that joy today. And so we plead with you, Holy Spirit, to come into them in fullness and bring them that joy unspeakable and full of glory. Oh my, oh my, joy, joy. Joy we have, joy we have in Jesus' name. Amen.